I don't care. A common sentiment amongst our times, and the Greek word for without care is what we call acedia or acadia, which is the vice of spiritual sloth. And so in this homily, I'm going to examine that vice, what the nature of it is, and then just explore the life of Job and Christ in this gospel to shed some light on overcoming this kind of careless mentality about the spiritual life. So first, what is acedia? We call it spiritual sloth. It's not necessarily laziness in the virtue of industry, just getting things done. The way that um, we could describe acedia is with the words of John Cashin, a saint in the Eastern tradition who was a desert father. And what he saw in his monks that came out into the desert was that while they initially went out with a great zeal to grow closer to God and to work, eventually the noonday devil caught up with them. And that noonday devil, what we call acedia, caused them only to think of food and company. Basically, when am I going to catch a break? And so that same noonday devil affects us. It looks like I cannot wait until 5 o'clock hits so I can get off of work. I cannot wait until the weekend. I cannot wait until I can check my phone. I cannot wait until this dinner or this thing. And what it does is, is that it removes us from the present moment and it removes us from our duty in life that God has assigned us. More specifically, what it tends to look like spiritually is this. We finally decide that we're going to go pray. We go to sit down, either in our room where it's a suitable place, or we decide to go to the Adoration Chapel. When we get there, all of a sudden, a million insane thoughts flood in. If I don't take out the dishes of the dishwasher right now, they're all going to melt and I'm going to have a terrible day the rest of the day. If I don't write down this to-do right here, then I'm going to forget it. It's going to snowball and I'm going to get nothing done today. And then eventually that relationship or that work task is going to fall apart. In fact, St. Gregory the Great writing his life of St. Benedict, uh, has this picture in the book of a demon pulling a monk out of the chapel when the monk is just kind of going to think about something he forgot, you know, something that makes him, uh, make, makes him allergic to prayer, so to speak. And so what acedia does and the nature of it is very different from the other vices, John Cashin says. Think about it. With anger, if I'm angry with my spouse, if I'm angry with a family member, what do I do to address that anger? I cool down, I step aside, I go into another room, and I let it settle. If it's lust and I'm tempted, what do I do? I stop talking to that person, I get out of the conversation or put the phone down, and I just go do something else and it'll pass. 
Acedia is the opposite, John Cashin says. He says it's like a bully. That if I feel distracted when I go to pray, and then I entertain that and say, yeah, I'm just going to do something else that's, you know, in the service of God. Then, eventually, I'm not going to go back to pray. And it'll, we get into that funk. It's like it's been two weeks since I've prayed. It's been two months since I've prayed. It's been a few years since I've really prayed. The same thing happens with confession. We want to go. And then uh, a little excuse here, a little excuse there. Two weeks turn into two months, turns into two years. Acedia does that. It's, the, it's spiritual sloth, but it's a subtle bully. And so we see it kind of full-blown in the life of Job. Job embodies this because for him, it's like he can't find any rest. He says, my life is like the life of a hiring. It's like a slave. I cannot find rest and there is no happiness for me. And it gets to a point to where he cannot be consoled. This is another thing about the nature of Acedia. If you know the book of Job, then you'll have a picture of what I'm about to talk about. Job is a righteous man. And in the first three chapters is when he undergoes this testing that um, none of us would probably pass. And while he does not curse God, the remaining 35 chapters of the book, he is complaining until God intervenes in the last few. And you see him in conversation with these men that try to come to console him. And they're trying to shed light on what God might be doing, but he can't receive any of it. He's so distraught. He's so weighed down because he feels like everything that he does is helpless. This is very similar to the spirit of Acedia. So in other words, one of the other things that Acedia does is that whenever we hear the gospel, we can't respond to it. It doesn't touch us at all. I see this a lot in spiritual directees, that in the funk of Acedia, saying something like, the Lord loves you, you'll get out of this funk, he will provide, bounces right off of them. The words do not touch them. And it's because, Job, like Job, and really the root of Acedia, is that there feels like there's a hopelessness towards holiness. There feels like there's a hopelessness towards holiness. It's like being at the foot of Mount Everest, looking up and being absolutely dizzy and not knowing where to start. That is the nature of Acedia. And so the question is, how do we get out of it? Sure, part of it is just withstanding it, as John Cashin says. But really, there needs to be a conversion. Because as we talked about, it seems like the head and the heart aren't really matching. I know the gospel, but I don't really feel any kind of upward movement or zeal towards it. And so this is where the insight of St. Bernard is helpful. St. Bernard of Clairvaux writes about conversion in this way. He says that if we're to turn to the Lord with 
our whole heart, soul, and strength, then three things in us need to be changed or touched. Our mind or our head, our will or our heart, and our memory. So as we've said, whenever we're in the funk of acedia, there's a disconnect between the head and the heart. And so what St. Bernard beautifully does is that he compares the head and the heart to a husband and a wife. And that if a husband is supposed to persuade a wife, he must do so not by force, but by enticing her. And so for St. Bernard, he says that the reason must persuade the will by proposing to the will paradise. The husband must propose to the wife paradise. And this is where we see the zeal of Christ in the gospel effective. That while Job doesn't seem to see God's hand in anything, Christ, we say traditionally, has the beatific vision. So this is a fun fact that Christ does not have faith, but he has what we call the fullness of faith. That is, he sees God continually. In other words, paradise is proposed to him always. And because paradise is proposed to him always, then his hope is perfect as well. And so we get this activity of Christ in the Gospel of Mark, that everything he does is immediately, immediately, immediately. In fact, so much so that in the Gospel of Mark, this word immediately, or euthis in the Greek, is used 40 times and compared to the remaining 11 times throughout the New Testament. He's always got somewhere to go, and he does it straightforwardly and with candor because Christ, because the Father is before the face of Christ always. But in completing the triad that St. Bernard proposes with our reason, our will, and then our memory, it often happens in our experience that we go to pray, maybe we listen to a great talk, maybe we go on a wonderful retreat, Paradise is proposed to us. But then the moment that you leave that prayer, the moment that you leave that talk, the moment that you leave that retreat, it's like paradise vanishes back into the real world. The sedia creeps back in. Sloth then takes over, and we're stuck in the same rut. And now we're stuck in the same rut under the conviction that the prayer doesn't work. There's nothing I can do about it. And this is where the memory comes in. St. Bernard says that if we're to complete our conversion, then there needs to be a purification of our memory. Because what do we remember? We remember our past sins. We remember our temptation to sin. We remember the fractured relationships that we walk back into, whether they be within our work where it's like, I don't know if I can live the gospel at work because it's too difficult. Or then our family. I don't know if I can live the gospel with my family because my family's not receptive of my growth of holiness. These things can stifle um, the growth of grace within us and then lead to sloth. 
And so, how does St. Bernard tell us to solve that issue of healing our memory? He uses an example that's, I don't quite get why this is the case, but he says that you can't erase memory because this is his example. I don't know what kind of erasers he had. It sounds like he had the same erasers that you and I had in the second grade that our teacher gave us. It says that when you try to erase what's on the parchment, you end up tearing the parchment. So imagine, there you are, you're second grade. It's Miss Mercier's class. You wrote down your name. You misspelled it. She gives you a pencil. On the back of that pencil is that eraser. It's that thick. It's black on the back. You try to erase it, it black, it's black, so you erase harder. And then you rip up the paper. You turn in the paper to Miss Mercier. She gives you a B minus. You're upset now. You have to explain to your parents. You know, just if something like that were to happen. But the point is that if we're going to try to erase the memory, say, like Jesus, just, I hope that I'm not tempted in the future, or I hope that when I go home, everything's gonna be fine, or I hope that when I step into work, it's all going to be good. It's not gonna work. Instead, what St. Bernard says is that we write over that ink with a different color ink. And this is where Christ comes in to the picture with his exorcisms, specifically Simon's mother-in-law. But notice her response once she's healed. So she's in bed, she's got a fever, likely malaria, like a serious fever. Christ goes in and grabs her hand and then says, arise. And fun fact, when he says that, that same word arise or stand up is the Greek for resurrect. He resurrects her, so to speak. And so when she stands up and resurrects, what is it that she immediately does after? She waits on him. With what? The hand that Christ grabbed. That's what she waits on him with. And so what is the ink that needs to cover over the memory. That basically, I'm drawing Christ down into the temptation. I'm drawing Christ down into the work. I'm drawing Christ down into the family. I'm giving him the hand that's diseased that will then wait upon him. That if I let Christ into those temptations, then they're no longer scary obstacles to grace, but now occasions of grace. And so if we are to get out of the carelessness that plagues our relationship towards God, we must persevere against the temptation not to pray. We must propose before our will paradise and to allow Christ to come in to those obstacles of grace.